It's good to be back home. Know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Go Additive, where your hosts combine their real-world professional 3D printing experience to deliver valuable opinions that will help you peer behind the curtain of the additive industry. And now, Go Engineer's own Tyler Reed and Tate Brown. Feels good this morning. It does. We're home. We are home. You know how you ended the last episode? No. You said. What did I say? Bring more energy next week. Oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> Seriously. Like the last two or three, I don't know what's been going on with you. You've just come in, come in flat. I know. If I can say I that. Know. You can. To your face. You can. Now that we're on air, you can say it. <laughs> if, uh, if, if you had said that before we hit record, we may have had to have a discussion. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll wait till after to get now, my wampins. You're right. It feels it feels great to be home. But that that uh, that travel, that trip was also kind of nice. It was. Very refreshing to get out, to be out. I've been out for the last couple weeks, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's just been a whirlwind yeah. of travel and being out there, meeting people and seeing old faces. Uh, mostly just new faces. <laughs> yeah. For you. Yeah. Um, and we're both traveling next week too. Yep. I am Two headed, different areas. Yeah. I am headed to Velo. Which I was slated to be there, but another salesperson needed me in Texas. Yeah, yeah, we won't go there. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm excited to go on site at Velo though. Again, um, it's too bad because you haven't you haven't been, and it's a great place to visit. I wish I could go. I wish I could go. We're going to be doing a lot of filming, which is both stressful and exciting. So, where can we look for uh, what you're filming? Well, we are specifically looking to create a series of videos that explain what it's like to own a Velo system. So going over like the in-depth process of installation, uh, site prep, um, operating the system, maintaining the system, post-printing post uh, duties and things like that. So. Um, I don't know how much of this will be actually just publicly, broadly released. It's going to be more fine-tuned for helping discussions uh, with serious prospects. I hope we can break it down to do some sort of high-level coverage. Yeah, I think we will. Uh, we'll be creating a lot of film, lots of film. And so... Breaking that down into little tidbits that are digestible and uh, provide value to a broader audience, I think that's a good idea. We, sh we should do that afterwards. I think it would be good for a lot of people to know what, how involved metal printing can be. Yeah. Just to set a kind of expectation. Yeah. You know, real early on. I agree with that. It's actually really hard. If you are like me and you use YouTube as a learning platform, uh, I've searched high 
and wide for this type of content with laser powder bed fusion systems. And it's really difficult, but I actually did come across one video this past weekend of a user using an EOS machine going over fairly in-depth printing with titanium. I unfortunately cannot share the name of the channel because I don't remember it. <laughs> the user, the operator had a very, very thick, I think, Scandinavian accent. How would you know? I think. I'm guessing. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I'm just, I'm just giving you a hard yeah. time. Busting your chops. Well, I, I think the biggest thing is a lot of us have been told for a long time by what we can find out on the interwebs that metal printing is as easy as plastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's not. No, it's not. It's definitely not. So I just, I think it would be a good idea, like you're talking about kind of using this as more of a sales tool or, you know, maybe a further step in the sales process, like, okay, this is what to expect. But I also feel like just maybe as a, I don't know, it because a lot of the things are parallels to other metal machines. It's not just Velo. Yeah. So for people as a whole to kind of get a feel for high-end metal additive, I don't think it would be a bad idea. Totally possible. We were originally slated to go out there and do this filming back in December. And that was the initiative at the time, was to create something just broad, like a broad audience type content. And uh, yeah, I mean, what we create, I think absolutely we'll be able to reuse that. I'm also doing a webinar when I'm out there covering something that we've never talked about or showed in depth, and that is their pre-processing software, Flow. So that's going to be some new content as well. With their, is their pre-processing, it's through their own proprietary Pre-processing only. There's no yeah. magics or anything like that involved. Yeah. No third-party tools. It's called Flow is is their tool, and it's proprietary to Velo and specific to their Sapphire system. Their full-stack solution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I man. just had to throw in a, a nice little buzzword. Yeah. Speaking of buzzwords... We'll just wait for the... Uh, yeah. I know exactly who that is. Oh, yeah. Is that Ferb? <clears throat> Ferb? Is that Jeb? Jeb. <laughs> Jeb. That's definitely Jeb. Jeb. Jebediah. Yeah. Oh, wait. Jeb Jr. There. Yeah. Anyway, might... speaking of buzzwords. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the we news. We can cut all that out. Yeah, we can. We probably should. <laughs> Um, one company that comes to mind when we're talking buzzwords is in the news this past week oh. and, and something that piqued my interest. I think it piqued your interest too. Yeah. And a couple others. Yeah. At least one more. Yeah. We've had people reach out and say, Hey, did you see this? Yeah. So desktop metal in the news again. 
this time for an acquisition, another acquisition that they made. But I don't think this was – was this a, a an extremely recent acquisition? This was before, but now this company is just more being spotlighted. They really just publicly announced it. So the acquisition happened before DM went public in December of last year. It happened a couple months before that. And they actually acquired two companies at that time. One we are going to talk about, and the other, it was included in the same articles that I was reading, but there was no information released. And that was a company that supposedly print 3D prints sheet metal. What? <laughs> Your head just whipped around so quick. Yeah, I know. I'm not really sure uh, what to think of that. So I don't have an opinion on it. I don't know anything about it, but it did kind of pique my interest in, an, in a different way as well. Uh, yeah, but put, put me on the old uh, subscribed list for that one. Yeah, I'm curious. So the acquisition that's in the news is of a company called Forest with a U, F-O-R-U-S-T. Forest. Forest. Yeah, actually. So what do you think? So Forest <laughs> is a company that believes in making a kind of more sustainable or recyclable reuse of sawdust. Yeah. So they're additively using recycled sawdust to make, they say, high-volume wood 3D printing affordable, reliable, and sustainable. And it's basically a binder be- uh, binder jetting technology. Mm-hmm. And it's made of streams is what they call it. Sawdust and lignin. Yeah. And it seems pretty interesting. Uh, The wood products, at least on their website, they look, the printed parts look good. Uh, I've printed in the past with hobby level. Oh, have you? PLA uh, based wood. Yeah. I think, (laughs) or wood based PLA. Yeah. It's a thermoplastic that's. That's a wood. Yeah. And I, you know, I never took a lighter to it or anything to see how it would burn or anything like that. But it looked like wood, felt like wood. And this kind of reminds me of the same type of thing. Other than because it's binder jetting, it doesn't look like it has a ton of layer lines, but that could just be the way they're post-processing it or, yeah, or for whatever. Sure. For sure. I mean, it more or less is... It's wood in the same sense that MDF is wood. Yes. Right? For sure. Um, Any sort of fiberboard like that where it's a wood composite. Um, The lignin, my understanding, is biodegradable. It is compostable. This is the binder, the resin. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that is an important part of this story. If, If you're trying to create... Uh, a technology that is sustainable, then you should put some effort into creating a product that is biodegradable. And uh, I think they've done that. So I was impressed with that. The other concern that I had was if you are saying, you know, architects are going to use this, interior designers are going to use this, they're going to want it to actually look like wood. And they're going to want it to look like a high value precious wood, which means grain, 
and they have been able to mimic grain in this, something that you don't see in MDF. Yeah, I saw that in some of their parts, and I kind of wondered how, if uh, they're just orienting the part a certain way, but it doesn't look like that. No, it actually looks like mimicked grain, um, but I don't know how they do it. I'm not sure they went into that. And who knows if they actually do. I mean, they could just, they could have an artist throwing down a a design on there before they stain it. Or, but speaking of stain, it is stainable, oh, yeah. which is really cool. Like they definitely show that off in their marketing that it's stainable. I probably saw four or five clips in the one little video that I watched where they're actually, it's a guy taking a stain brush and staining the product. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I wonder what the volume output is. It is binder jetting. So you are going to see volume capabilities higher than any extrusion-based material. But is it enough to where this would be a consumer level output? I don't think so. I think it would still be sort of a high-end, designer, chic, exclusive type thing. Whatever the equivalent is of a fascist, a fashion runway. Fascist. Fascist. <laughs> yeah. Like a fashion runway designer, right? Those are all custom-made one-off things. They are meant to uh, be just showcase pieces. And perhaps this is a little bit higher volume than that. I don't know. What do you think? Um... I don't know. To to me, like, I could see this being used at, say, a cabinet shop because a cabinet shop is not a necessarily a high production type yeah. shop, although they do produce a ton of sawdust. So if, if you're producing a lot of sawdust and you can actually find a way to print some components of your cabinetry, uh, some decorative pieces, whatever, that you integrate into your regular product line, I think it would kind of be close to a one-to-one -one match in terms of production or could be kind of close to that. So yeah, definitely um, targeted probably towards more niche products, but it's also a little bit, I don't want to call it. Um, so many times we see sustainable being a buzzword yeah. and we see these huge efforts to be sustainable, environmentally friendly, which I am not against at all. I'm 100% on board. I just find it to be kind of in terms of marketing. Sometimes nowadays it's the low-hanging fruit, and it's probably slightly overused in marketing. It makes sense with this printer. It seems like a good, good deal. But I, I'm with you. I think it's more niche markets. It's it's not going to be a high-volume production. Ford throwing dash panels that are printed out of wood. Right. Lower-volume luxury car or luxury yacht like Rolls manufacturer. Royce. Yeah. Yeah, because you could create some very interesting shapes, and you could uh, do, you know, it seemingly you could do relatively large parts, so intricate panels, uh, things like that. 
So I'm I'm not that skeptical of it, actually. I'm I'm really interested in it. I want to see where it goes. I'm not skeptical of it either. I think for the people who want to make it work. Yeah. It's it's gonna work. And it's, it's something different. I I do like that. It is something different that makes sense. You have this waste product. Now, whether or not someone could actually just use their own, the sawdust in their own shop, I don't know. That, right. That would be a big part of it. Yeah. Um, you would definitely have to sieve it and screen it. But uh, who knows if what types of wood species, for example, does that play a role in it? I would imagine it would. Because we are talking about binder jetting, but also my perception of it is that there's going to have to be a pretty fine control over this sawdust. Every other technology that appears, any powder bed technology like this, there is fine control over, in our, in other cases, grain size. So you would have to have some sort of control over the sawdust size, particulate size, is my guess. For sure you'd have to. Yeah, it's something to keep your eye on. I thought it was definitely worth talking about, and it was brought up a couple times. So desktop metal is once again finding their way into Markets something that. that's not metal. <laughs> and not on the desktop. No. It, wait, I haven't. so that's the thing. I haven't even seen a machine. Well, what's funny is in the promotional video, they have two different machines. They have one that looks like their shop system, the existing DM shop system. And then they have one that is uh, being operated by a six-axis robot. So I actually don't know what the product looks like. Hmm. But it's not desktop. Okay, it's, I am seeing what you're talking about. I just pulled it up. Yeah, it's not desktop. <laughs> it's not metal. Do you think they uh, regret the their name now at this point? Oh, absolutely. They have to. This entire year, they're probably thinking, man, we didn't think this would happen. Yeah. It's sort of like the folks over at Post Process. I've heard now twice, both the owner, the founder, and the CEO talk about the story of buying the postprocess.com domain mm -hmm. for two ninety nine. And then going into a discussion about how they really are trying to change the conversation to be called post-print and not post-process. Really? Yeah. It brings up an interesting discussion about this industry changing so rapidly and choosing names that you can grow with. Don't you think? Origin <laughs> of the name Stratasys is. I have no clue. Neither do I. What are some other names? 3D systems that you can grow with. That's cool. Origin. Origin is very Silicon Valley. Grow with that. X1 is generic enough. You can grow with that. What are some, name, some names that you can't grow with? LSAM. LSAM? Yeah. What's that? <laughs> it's one of those mega machines I was talking about last week. Oh. 
Open additive. Open additive. What about, um, oh my, another one of the big ones that I talked about last week. The one that was printing the lion. Uh, massive it. Yeah. For sure. Massive it. You're yeah. stuck making big stuff. Yeah. It's very restricting stuff. Well, in an ever-changing world, for sure. But, you know, some of these companies, they don't want out of what they're doing. They're specializing and they yeah. are... But you just never know. You never know. Well, at that point, wouldn't you just want to start a new company? Break off? If your goals changed that much? I wouldn't. Why? Because your company and its branding has an actual monetary value. So if you move away from that, it's going to cost you time and money to recover it. I suppose. What's it going to cost you to have the wrong name? It could cost you your entire business. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it might be worth a restart. (laughs) Um. We are in the season where companies are starting to report their earnings, their Q1 earnings. Stratasys came in last week. Earnings were up. Machine revenue up. You want to guess how much? No. 41%. (laughs) You seem disappointed that I didn't (laughs) want to guess. 41%. Q1 2020 versus Q1 2021. Wow. Pretty impressive. What does that say about consumer confidence? Oh, well. Or just engineering in general. I think that companies have some money to spend. Uh, We saw at AMUG some numbers, right? Overall, there was a contraction quarter over or year over year uh, in 3D printing sales. But that was highly weighted towards the high end. Yep. Uh, Commercial grade systems. Commercial grade systems, 150K plus. And the more expensive the system, the harder it was hit. Sales actually went up on the consumer level and prosumer level and entry level professional systems. It makes sense to me. Oh, it makes hundred. It makes perfect sense. Everybody was working from home. If people mm-hmm. wanted to continue any sort of production, prototyping, that sort of thing, hey, let's take that budget and split it in thirds and right do a maker bot in everybody's house. Right. And on the consumer level, it's like, hey, I got my my stimmy check. Yeah, yeah. Let's get a printer. It it bumped you into the prosumer range. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but Stratasys had a, a pretty good quarter. Um, you know, still showing a loss. They've historically shown losses, but revenue's up. DM is reporting on Monday, their Q1. And that's that's one I'm always I've always got an eye on. Why? And, why? Because they from the very get-go have always talked about investment into their company. Yeah. From the very first deck that I saw, I think in 2017 or early 2018, they were talking about who their initial investors were and how much they raised. It, even though they are based in Boston, it's very much a Silicon Valley startup mindset. And so that's always been part of their story. And especially now that they 
have progressed to the point where they're a public company, I'm just really curious about where where they are. Uh, same with Nano Dimension. Because again, from the very get-go, that, that was part of their story. And if, um, you know, if there was a hardware company that wasn't out there talking about, about that, then I would be less interested in hearing about the, the revenues and sales and things like that. So they put it into my head. All right. To be concerned about it. Well, I'm I'm gonna try and broaden my horizons a little more beyond uh, that, just because Amug got me thinking a little more more about how big the world is. Yeah, and I think I'm gonna try and do a better job of giving uh, a little more airtime to some of these other systems. Okay. That I find interesting, like this forest machine, for example, even though it's related to desktop metal. But more of these systems that are doing kind of crazy things that you didn't think of uh, and you didn't think was possible. Mm -hmm. But something also that's actually being used. Not like, not necessarily someone's idea. Yeah. I don't, you know, everyone's got good ideas. And no offense to them. Uh, but I'm more concerned about places that have a cool system you may have never heard of, but it's actually being used to produce a sizable portion of their process. Yeah, I can get on board with that. I was looking at the news this morning and a article popped up about a company planning, quote unquote, planning to additively manufacture solid state batteries. And they came out with these numbers of like, you know, they're such and such smaller. They have such and such power density, blah, 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 but nothing on the technology. And I was thinking when I saw the title, I was like, oh, this could be a good candidate for discussion here. Then I read the article. I was like, there's nothing here. There's too much of that. Yeah. That's what we want to stay away from. If we can stay away from the hype train. Yeah. We will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I, I do think that some of these other machines, technologies, whatever you want to call them, they do deserve a little more recognition. I agree. Um, there was one manufacturer there at AMUG, Lux Creo, that kind of caught my eye. Did you, I actually never opened up my backpack until I got home, but I found that they had some trinkets in there. Did you see the little keychain? The from- little pink squishy Mine wasn't pink, mine Matrix was teal, thing? but yeah. Okay, yeah. I was super impressed by that. Yeah, it was cool. It I, it makes me very excited to bring a, a DLP system into our lab. Yeah. Uh, I, I think DLP is emerging as a technology capable of creating some fascinating parts with great materials. Yeah, which... Can you give us an update on the lab, the new lab? Because uh, as soon as that's done, we're going to actually start getting some of this stuff and putting our hands on it, right? Over the course of the rest of this year, we'll be adding more equipment, you know, as it's released to us. So, and it's still, there's still some question as to what's going to go in our lab versus what's going to go into some of our other offices. But uh, our lab, I think we're going to start moving machines next month. And this is probably worth a discussion 
at some point about planning a lab. What should you be thinking when you are planning a new space for additive manufacturing, you know, in terms of infrastructure, things like air, power, um, safety, lighting, cleanliness, lighting. Yeah. I think that would be interesting. Yeah. I actually like that idea. Uh, I don't know how, well, I'm sure there's a bunch of people interested. I, I bet a lot of people have just a back room in their house that are dedicated to kind of these types of things. Yeah. Um, before we get off the topic too much of, I guess we don't really have a topic today other than just we're kind of recapping AMUG a little bit, but I want to, we talk about YouTube every once in a while. I want to point out a channel. Okay. That I love. Yeah, let's let's hear it. So I've watched this channel for quite a while, uh, years, and they just put out a, the, I think it's their latest video. They do tutorials, and I believe they're a composite sales company. They sell composites and composite materials, yeah. resins. I know who you're talking about already. Easy composites. Yeah. I think we had brought them up at one point, and neither one of us could remember the channel name. Yeah. Yeah, I think we have too. Easy Composites LTD, that's their um that's their YouTube channel. They've got like 250,000 subscribers just about and they deserve every one of them. For sure they do. They're such good videos. They they do a great job of describing everything. The reason this one this latest video is so intriguing to me, I've already watched it, but it's called Hand Laminating a Carbon Fiber Part directly into a, a 3D printed mold, I believe, is the rest of the title. But um, anyway, I I was kind of half expecting them to seal the uh -huh. FDM component yeah. because traditionally that's what we recommend yeah. is put a sealer over the part and then finish and bodywork the sealer to get your required finish. Yeah. Then you can use that as kind of a production mold. Yeah. Or just the opposite. If you're doing a plug, same thing, you know, primer it, epoxy it, primer it, do whatever, body work it, then pull your molds. In this video, they go straight to the release agent, straight on the FDM mold, which is so cool. And you think, oh, that's going to show up in the part. The part's going to be, eh, it's going to be subpar yeah. quality. This carbon fiber part that he lays up ends up looking beautiful. What else I like about their videos and the problem I've had, because I've I've done some of my own composite layup in the past. Uh, I've done car carbon fiber. I've done fiberglass. And <laughs> it's dirty. Yeah. It's a dirty process. Oh, yeah. And nobody shows the little mistakes <laughs> in, in tutorials on YouTube. Yeah. And when I was trying to learn about it using YouTube – and I'm actually laying up fiberglass. I'm like, man, this, you know, these bubbles don't quite move out like they yeah. they show it does, or this doesn't quite work right, or I'm ending up with these defects in yeah. my part. Oh, it's it's much harder than you think. Yeah, and you end up with this this part that's like 98 percent what you wanted, <laughs> but there's these defects, and you're like, now how the heck do I deal with these? Yeah, and you think it's kind of a scrap part. If you're like me, you're somewhat of a perfectionist you're just like ah, 
Now I got to do it over. And you might make the same mistake again. Yeah. But these guys, they'll show the defects. They, they're, they're relatively raw. Like they'll cut out a lot of stuff, a lot of the fluff. You know, you don't want to wait around. Yeah. But they, they show the defects and, hey, you're going to end up with these every once in a while. Here's how you fix them. And they give you the process on how to actually fix the defects as if it's a regular occurrence, which it is, even for them who are professionals with composites. So I really respect the channel. It does have quite a bit of of 3D printing uh, related stuff, but... Especially lately. Absolutely. I've I've seen some ads on social media promoting them in combination with a company called Diamondism. And I don't know if Diamondism is pro- providing the 3D printed parts. Uh, well, they 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 print the parts in house. They've got they've got their own machine. I think it's an Ultimaker. Yeah, Diamondism sells Ultimakers, I believe. Okay. So maybe they so maybe sold it's them a partnership. But Diamondism is in the US and these guys are in the UK, right? I think so. Yeah, I'm not sure. When I saw the ad, I was actually wondering, did Diamondism just use their video as their ad? <laughs> huh. That kind of sounds terrible to put out there as a possibility, but that was the impression I got. Well, I I probably shouldn't have I done that. I can't say but. because I, I, I didn't see the ad. All yeah. I know is I, I organically found this uh, this channel years ago, and I've kind of kept... I, I never actually subscribed. I don't sus- subscribe a lot to to channels. I do on YouTube, unless they're working on a project that's a series. Yeah, and I want updates on that particular project. With Easy Composites, it's all good stuff. Yeah, but because I don't subscribe to a lot of things, my algorithm I think stays fresh in YouTube, so it will just organically pop <laughs> up um, as time goes on, and and. Obviously, a 3D printing related easy composites video would yeah. pop up into my stream, which I was glad it did. Anyway, if you get a On, chance, if you're doing any composite layup, their channel's worth a look. I'm for curious. Sure. So they laid up directly onto the FDM yeah. uh, pattern. And is it a, was it a prepreg? That they were using? No. It was a it wet layer. at room temp. It doesn't show any signs of the pattern. Okay, so I should be more clear about this. This is this is why the video was so cool to me. Because if you've ever tried to pull one of these parts from a mold, it's difficult even if you have a great it, or or it can be difficult even if you have a nice draft angle, a smooth finish, blah, blah, blah. With FDM. If you print in the wrong orientation, you can get an interlocking yeah. interface. That epoxy is fairly low viscosity, and it will just grip into right. any any sort of texture on your pattern. Yeah, and you can wax you can wax a component. I would imagine with this FDM, you could wax the heck out of it, and it would fill in some of those valleys, yeah. and then put your release agent over that. Yeah, but they didn't. But they didn't. In fact, they go into a a short little blip about print orientation and how to avoid those interlocking surfaces to orient and 
create your part in such a way that it pulls Was from the mold. it a negative or a positive mold? It is a negative. Okay. It's a negative. So the surface that you want to be aesthetic was in contact with the pattern. Exactly. And it came out. So yeah, let and me. Did they do any coating with epoxy afterwards? It, that's exactly what they did. Okay. So it does come out with the little, you can see the layer lines from the FDM print, but he just blocks it, sands it. And I've seen him do this with other components as well. This is pretty standard for almost any part. You know, obviously, ideally, you want to pull the part and polish it and be done. But when you have one like this, it's pretty standard. But yeah, he just blocks it down. It's really easy to body work because the part is now uh, convex. And so those are easier surfaces yeah. to body work. And you can knock them down really fast. And cool. He then he there's a, a, a resin that they use. They use the exact same resin they pour mm -hmm. to fix the little imperfections as soon as that's – and he creates these little dams. Like it's really yeah. cool. Like he just creates a dam with tape, pours it in there, and then there's just all these like little tips. You're like, that's perfect. Doesn't, doesn't it make you – It's exactly what I needed. – want to spend more time in the lab? Oh, for sure. And – Well, we have a few customers right now that are interested in in composite layup. Yeah. And they, for whatever reason, a lot of people don't think, oh, ABS isn't good enough. Oh, I mean, I've never been one of those people. I've been using ABS for this stuff for a long time, uh, especially if you're, it's a wet layup because the temperatures um, involved are just the, t the curing temperatures of the two-part epoxy. Yeah. So relatively low, and then it's also relatively, uh, I mean, it can radiate out. But now that we have that oven that I built, <laughs> yeah, I do want to do some prepreg with some Ultim patterns. Yeah. So it's just a matter of doing it. Really. Right. Finding and the time. The reason pre or well, not prepreg, but oven curing composites has been challenging with thermoplastics in the past is because of the CTE. Yes. The differences in CTE can can mess up your part, and that's why we use the Ultim instead of something else. Right. And also Antero now. We have the uh, PEC-based yeah. material that has lower CTE than even Ultim. And they're both capable of temperatures that you would see in an autoclave. So exciting stuff. Uh, I want to do it. It's just a matter of, man. At I've this got point, some parts. Already designed? Because designing is where I, it's been very difficult for me to carve out time is to design new parts. Yeah. I have a motorcycle cowling that my GS750, it's a old turd of a bike that I started making into a cafe racer when I was like my first year of college and it's like 80% of the way done yeah. now. I've just kind of this year and last year basically didn't get any work done on it. But that bike taught me so much about CNC machining yeah. and 3D printing 
that's really like one of the major learning tools that I had in school that motivated me to like figure stuff out. And I actually have what I, what I had planned to do is a hybrid mold. Okay. A plug. Yeah. Because half of it's already CNC machined out of MDF. So on my router at home, I CNC'd this cowling, the more complex part of it. The front end, I wanted to 3D print with like a puzzle piece uh, to interface the two components together. I could just trace that onto the new component, take a jigsaw, cut it out, some dovetails or something. Yeah. And then epoxy it together and do my mold that way. I think it would be cool. Would be cool. Since I've already had since I already have the CNC machine part. But we're getting the 770 and I'd be able to do the yeah. whole thing in that. Yeah. So part of me wants to just scrap or put the put the CNC part somewhere as a showpiece in my house, you know, and then just <laughs> do the do the whole thing on the F770. Yeah. That'd be a fun project. The MDF components heavy. Oh, no doubt. It's heavy, so I can imagine how much lighter a sparse-filled F770 part would be. So maybe expect an update on that. I am anxious to get my hands on some of of these new printers for my own personal use. (laughs) The 770 for sure. We've been learning a lot more about the H350 lately and what it would look like to bring one of those into the facility. Uh, this thing's definitely geared towards production, I would say. Yeah. Um, the the workflow is production-oriented. Describe what you mean by that. Well, what I mean by that Because that could is, be code for it's a pain in the butt to set up. <laughs> so it's worth doing in high quantities. If there's truth to that, let us know. Yeah, I, my perception is that you wouldn't really do one-off, like a, a build wouldn't be a single part unless it was a significant portion of the volume of the build. But you're not going to be doing single one-off small parts uh, because, I mean, you could, but if you're looking at the cost associated with each step of the process, those single parts, the cost per part goes up. Right, just because of the time involved. Yep. Okay. So I, my perception is that you would want to print many parts at a time, nest it, get the most out of each build uh, because there's some cool down time, there's some waiting after the print, and then uh, there is some unpacking of the parts from the powder cake, and then there is depowdering those parts uh, by bee blasting manually or automatically, and then you have a part. And then you might actually dye the part if, if you want any sort of dark color or vibrant color. So there's several steps to the process, and each of them are kind of geared towards batch processing. Okay, that makes more sense to me. So it kind of is a pain in the butt to do one-offs well, just you... because it's a it's a long cool-down process. Yeah. You're you'd be dumping out a whole thing of powder for just a small. You could throw 60 unique parts into the build volume 
that would be a better use of the system than a few parts here, a few parts there. Which this is nothing new to someone who's dealt with one of these systems in the past, like the 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 HP. HP. Yeah, this is nothing new to you all, but the, for everyone the else, discussion. Yeah, some technologies are geared towards producing a lot of the same part. Some technologies are geared towards producing a lot of parts, no matter what the geometry is. And other technologies are going to be at their most efficient at quantity one. So it's important to understand where each technology has carved out its unique uh, advantage. And this powder bed fusion binder jetting types system is geared towards putting out a lot of parts. So definitely geared towards people who are seeking to bridge the gap to production, perhaps, yeah. or service bureaus, yes. someone with a little more throughput. Yeah. Not, this isn't going to work well for those shops or, or engineering firms that are doing a part here, a part there. Oh, we do six parts a week. Yeah. We do a hundred parts, but we only do a hundred per quarter. Yeah. And it's all in like two weeks. If that was the case and you needed nylon, you'd probably be better off looking at an SLS nylon system. If that's the case and you don't specifically need nylon, but you need nylon-like properties or other types of properties, then maybe a DLP system or an SLA system or FDM or Polyjet. You know, all of those systems are, would be better off at one-offs. Yeah. So you mentioned something in there, the dying of these parts, yeah. which made me think of a new partnership. This is kind of some news that we didn't get to. Yeah. Stratasys and Dimension. Yeah. I hope I'm saying that right. That's how it's spelled. That you're you're saying it right. How else Am could I, you how I, else could you say it? I don't know. I have no idea, but it they're Diamond Sun. Diamond <laughs> Sun. <laughs> it's they they have a similar product line and maybe this isn't right maybe similar but they have some overlapping technologies with post-process maybe they're targeting a post-processing yeah they're arena they're they're firmly on the post-printing side of this workflow they create post-print or post-process. This workflow being powder bed fusion. Creating added additive manufacturing. Okay. Additive manufacturing, you have pre-print, you have printing, and you have post-printing. Maybe there's some other things there, but broadly speaking, you have products that are all about pre-printing. So like materialized magics, for example. Lots of software on the pre-printing side. Yep. Printing, of course, that's obvious. And then post-printing is handling parts either we we have a whole episode on post processing right so just finishing the parts uh the process you know making part of the necessary efficient so depowdering a part for example and then also some more optional things like surface finishing dimension and stratasys have basically partnered up to say hey we have this workflow figured out we stratasys provides the printing component 
And Dimension has some great solutions for automated depowdering, unpacking, and uh, dyeing. So that's kind of the extent of the partnership. Their product looks cool. Their website yeah. looks great from I, what I can tell. I agree with that. I agree with that. Nice color combos. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what should sell you on it. <laughs> I know. It does look good. Um, it's a sexy It's a sexy product. I do hope someday that we will have wherever our SAF printers end up, the first one being the H350, Wherever that ends up, I do hope someday that we can give the operator one of these automated depowdering stations. And the, a dyeing station would also be pretty pretty sweet. I could care less about the dye, if I'm, I, if I, I'm being totally yeah. honest. So on the depowdering side, the option is either manually bead blast parts or put it in a station that will automatically depowder the parts. The dimension part is sort of like a cement mixer that bead blasts at the same time. So it tumbles the parts and it is shooting glass beads at them at the same time. I like that. Hands on. I cannot wait for this machine. I know. I hope we get one here in town, but even if not, I'll just send my part files wherever we do have one. Yeah. And I'll let someone else print them for me. <laughs> I, I'm actually, though, I love the idea of SAF. I love the idea of, of these parts being more isotropic. It's yeah. so cool. Yeah. I don't know where my excitement is relative to all of the other things, but I think... I think I'm most excited about bringing the exact metal system into the lab and experimenting with printing Inconel, some stainless steel, bronze, copper, a whole arsenal of non-reactive metals. I'm, I'm the only literally the only downside to that machine i think is the the build volume yeah but if i think about all the parts i've cnc machined for my motorcycles and that sort of thing they would all fit in that envelope so i can't be it's my 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 eyes are bigger than than yeah my uh my parts i anticipate running into um some frustration there but I kind of suspect that the 5x5x5 five by five by five build envelope will, will be enough to get me started. Um, really, the compromise on that system, the reason why it is cheaper uh, than competing systems is the speed. But if you have no context for the speed, then that becomes less of an issue, right? Because Well, and especially if you're getting quality builds on the first, second try, yeah, you're saving a lot of time there. Yeah, for sure. And it's just, it's speed relative to other laser powder bed systems because it doesn't have a galvanometer. It doesn't, it doesn't use these f really fast moving mirrors to direct the laser. It uses a gantry system just like a CO2 laser cutter and that limits the speed. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, that will be our first exact metal system. It won't be our last. And I am excited for the future of exact metal as a partner for sure. Their machine looks, speaking of sexy, 
I saw it at AMUG for the first time in person. Yeah. It's cool. It is cool, huh? Yeah. It, it's a very clean looking system. It doesn't have a huge footprint. Yeah. It's got this sweet light that goes around <laughs> it. Like, I don't know why I'm so buttered up over <laughs> over the looks of these things lately, yeah. but... It does look really cool. I think it will look great in the lab. That light is an indicator light, by the way. Really? Yeah. So it has more function than yeah. to look cool. Yeah, it does. All right. It's communicating. Does it change colors or, yeah. or flash in a certain way? Yeah. I don't Both? know what it does. <laughs> I just know it's an something. indicator light. <laughs> it indicates something. I think it changes colors. I think it's RGB light. Yeah, it has to be. I've seen it white and I've seen it blue. Well, and I think it goes red and green. Um, and here I am, little old me, just thinking it looked cool. Yeah, I'm fairly sure on that. I've my brain, and you're. Do you feel the same way? It's just inundated with new information, and trying to keep track of it all has been challenging. Yeah, I need the rest of this year to just continue, continually develop and learn about these systems that I want to try and introduce more. So I got a ton, a here's, ton to learn. Here's a good example. I was looking at the initial list of materials supported on the Stratasys DLP system from Origin. There's 10 materials and they are all named just numbers. Loctite 3955. There's 10 of them. You're going to get to know them. I know we will. And this is one of those things where until you actually get the system in-house in and you have firsthand experience like using the materials, selecting the materials, ordering the materials, it's going to be much more challenging. Well, I, yeah, there's no doubt about that. To me, the most important thing in front of those materials is the name Loctite. Yeah. That is confidence inspiring. I agree with that. Uh, what, who are the other material providers? Um, well, Henkel is... Oh, yeah, Henkel. That's the other one I was thinking of. Yeah, but BASF also, I believe. I, there's like four major providers, I believe. Okay. And you... To the platform as well, right? Yes. I really am still curious about the ceramic. <laughs> there's nothing in the officially sanctioned material list around ceramics but that is something i am super interested in speaking of youtube pages you remember watching integza no yeah integza he was the guy printing the oh. uh, little rocket yes yes no yes. a tur little turbine yeah the little turbo yeah he he's he, like in his attic or something, and this thing's blowing a six foot flame out the back. I don't know if it was that big. I'm exaggerating. So but. he has a new video he put up, and I think in the last week or so, doing a another this time a rocket. He's feeding it a gas of some sort. It's awesome, but he tried to create another ceramic nozzle, and it eventually just melted. And uh, I don't know. I need to figure out a way to get him some legit parts. So you actually want to get in contact with this fellow? I do. I want to. I want to help him create some legit parts. Now it could be putting your name on the line there, pal. It could and Stratasys. He may actually. I want to get him a velo part. Okay. It's not going to happen. 
But I actually why not? Hmm, I just don't think it's going to happen. You're not going to answer. I see. No, I it's taking the political <laughs> high road. Maybe it will. Maybe it will. But I actually am searching for projects. For are you going to advertise develop, that over this? Because people might start hitting you up. If someone has a legitimate use case for what means legitimate? Does it mean we can't we can't machine this? Here's the part we invented. Uh, we need this. You know, it could be machinable, but if it's cost prohibitive, <laughs> there's a difference. What does between, that even mean? There's a difference between this is. 100% unmachinable, or this is machinable, but we can't afford to machine it. Ah, yeah, don't be the latter. No, don't be could, the latter. You could be the latter. Only if it's you're machining 100 parts, and now we're going to make that 100-part system a one-piece system. Let's just say... Then if, it makes financial sense. If you are... I don't if, if you're a university student, is. and you are engaged in some research and it would help your research if you had uh, an ink canal part or some other type of part you're going to spin it you're going to heat it up you're going to do something um, i'm definitely interested in hearing from you if you have a youtube channel and you're just you're like in Tegza and you're just doing these crazy rocket <laughs> and turbine projects i would love to help out there as well I am actively searching for ideas to print some of these parts. This is the first I've heard of that, so that's great news. Yeah. I'm just trying to – I'm not trying to be the the gatekeeper here. I'm just trying to say don't – take. hopefully you take yourself seriously, you take your project seriously, but hopefully you don't take it too seriously because we don't – we can't <laughs> – well, I'm just afraid of the stupid parts we might get. And <laughs> wow. I, okay. Wow. Just, that sounded, that came off wrong. Yeah. Everybody, I'm not saying that you have bad ideas. Here's I'm just the, saying here within, yeah. within our work, Jeb might come up to me yeah. and say, hey, can you print this? And Jeb's an engineer, yeah. you know? And I'm like, come on, you should know better. Yeah. Like, don't waste my time with this stuff, please. <laughs> I, that's all I'm saying. I'm not. Well, I'm not saying everyone's that way, but yeah. people here on occasion surprise me with the things they ask for. Since I'm the one making the request, I got asked to make a Larry O'Brien trophy the other day. <laughs> hey man, can you make me? <laughs> oh, I know. I know. We do get a lot of that. And uh, can the you print it in gold? The reality is silver. I'm, I'm probably gonna have to say no to all but one idea. So this could it, become you, a competition, is it, what you're saying. It it essentially is because so, so I apply. can't I can't print everything that's su submitted, but the the honest truth is that my skill level is not where it needs to be to design some of these parts that showcase the Velo technology. All right, right? I just I'm not going to be able to design. A, Makes total sense. A rocket. Yeah. Where someone already is and, they, yeah. and they're at the point where you, they can utilize you exactly. to help them get to that next step. Yeah. And everybody's winning exactly. in that case. So submit your applications to tread at goengineer.com. Exactly. <laughs> and make it cool. Yeah. If you're, if you're if, uh, you know, 
make it flashy because it'll catch our attention and uh, hopefully you can get your part printed. But by the way, this is off topic. This is previous topic, the origin materials, Henkel, BASF, and DSF, or excuse me, DSM, Yeah. Bright Science, Brighter Living, DSM. DSM. And then the other is open materials. So Got it. So there you no, go. no BASF. No. BASF isn't there. Oh. Henkel, BASF, we create chemistry, DSM, and additional material partners. What about Loctite? Hinkle is, is Loctite? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I should have said that before. But. That's okay. Um, that squishy keychain thing that we got as the giveaway at AMUG, it reminded me of uh, the Adidas shoes. Yeah. And I had, I've never seen those in person until I was at AMUG. Well, you know, actually, no, Andrew has a pair. Does he? Yeah. One of my best friends texted me last week. And, and showed me he had a pair. I was like, man, that was, those would be pretty fun to have at the show. And he's like, yeah, but I don't know if I can wear them in the summer because he lives in Arizona. Oh, man. <laughs> Melt the soles right off. Yeah. I was reading a, a bit about those, though, and um, the way that lattice is designed in the sole, it's so that when you compress by stepping, it actually tries to propel you forward. Wow. So the design of it improves your resistance, I guess, by like... Your it, kinetic it de- efficiency? It, de- it decreases your resistance by like 15%. So you literally have a bit of a bounce in your step. How neat is that? It is pretty cool. Well, I have to bounce on over to a meeting here in yeah. just a second. All right. So... I thought that was a good episode. The we mashup. talked. We covered a lot of stuff. Yeah, the mashup episode. Yeah. All right. Well, next week good to be we're home. traveling, so we're going to have to get creative, but we can't miss another week. Another remote one. Yep. Cool. All right. See you later. Adios.